The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Sportbox. Here are your headlines today. The Bank of England snaps up £4.4 billion in gilts in its biggest daily move so far as the emergency programme enters its final 48 hours. Borrowing costs jump, but UK Prime Minister Liz Truss stands defiant. The Prime Minister said, and I quote her exactly, I'm very clear, I'm not planning public spending reductions. Is she going to stick to that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And no turning back, ECB hawks of Robert Holzman and Pierre Wunsch tell CNBC they expect rates to keep rising despite fears of a looming recession, with the benchmark rate possibly topping 3%. My bet would be it's going to be over, you know, over 2% and I would not be surprised we have to go to above 3% at some point. A shallow recession would not deviate us from our plans to bring inflation down further pressure in its inflation fights, with food and energy costs causing wholesale prices to rise more than forecast last month, ahead of today's key CPI print. And EU energy ministers agree on plans for a joint gas buying scheme, but fail to strike a deal on a price cap. Poland's finance minister tells CNBC that member states will go it alone if there's no common policy. We are in uh, autumn now, winter is coming, so it, it takes too long. And this uh, also causes, causes that countries, the member states, they, uh, fi- they try to find their own solutions. As you can see, Jemana joining us around the set this morning. Good morning. Nice Good to see morning. You. Great to be here with you. Yeah, great to have you on uh, Bank Lots of England Watch as well. Let's see what headline they come out with today. <laughs> exactly. Well, the Bank of England has ramped up its guilt purchase operations on Wednesday as markets reacted to Governor Andrew Bailey's insistence that pension funds have until Friday to rebalance their positions. The yield on 30 year paper breached 5% for the first time since the UK government's mini budget. Daily purchases came in to £4.4 billion, bringing total buys since the central bank expanded its intervention to include linker bonds on Tuesday to nearly £8 billion. That is more than the first nine days worth combined. A quick look at how gilts are faring this morning. We can take a look at the uh, longer end of the curve. You can see the 30-year 4.79, so back below the 5% handle, but very close to that as we take a look at the 20-year 4.95. 4.44 is where we're travelling on the 10-year gilt. Worth noting we got to a 14-year peak of 4.63, but we closed at Wednesday at 4.42. So we're just a, a fraction above that, about two basis points higher this morning, 4.39 where we are perched on the 5-year gilt. All this as UK pension funds continue to sell off government debt ahead of tomorrow's deadline. Chancellor of the Exchequer, Kwasi Kwarteng, said it would be a, quote, matter for the government or governor if markets, rather, I should say governor, if markets slide once support is withdrawn. And on the fiscal side, Prime Minister Liz Truss is under pressure from her Conservative Party to abandon much of last month's mini-budget amid questions over how the government will fund £43 billion in tax cuts. The Institute for Fiscal Studies think tank estimates that the government will need to cut public spending by more than 60 billion pounds to pay for it. And in Parliament, opposition leader Keir Starmer asked Truss whether she would stick to her leadership campaign commitment not to make those cuts. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. What we are... Look, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, we are spending... We are spending almost a trillion pounds of public spending. We were spending 700 billion back in 2010. What we will make sure is that over the medium term, the debt is falling. But we will do that not by cutting public spending, but by making sure we spend public money well. And the Honourable Gentleman talks about our spending, which he doesn't seem to support on the energy price guarantee. But the reality is he can't criticise us on one hand for spending money, on the other hand claiming we're cutting public expenditure. Well, our colleague Jeff, who's in Washington, asked the National Bank of Belgium and ECB Governing Council member Pierre Munch whether the disruption the Bank of England has seen in the gilt market has any relevance for the ECB's own plans to tighten policy. You never know what can take place uh, when you, you start going in the other direction uh, and that you might learn that you have vulnerabilities you haven't seen before or you have underestimated, which is again why I think we, we need to start rather sooner than later, but you know, testing the market and the absorption capacity before we take any big commitments that we might have to come back to, which is never good. But Austrian National Bank Governor Robert Holtzman told Jeff that developments in the UK guild and LDI markets are a localised issue. What has happened uh, in the UK with the pension fund is very specific uh, because the UK has a lot of pension funds and they tried to somewhat balance <coughs> excuse me, their expectation about revenues. Uh, in most European countries, you don't have this kind of pension fund. And those they have it, they have... Uh, most cases nowadays uh, uh, defined uh, contribution plans which don't require this kind of uh, insurance uh, which uh, the market has provided. I may as well make the understatement of the year that I don't think the turmoil has evaporated, that we haven't really moved on at this point. I mean, yesterday it was extraordinary, wasn't it? Uh, the market chatter, whether there was some sort of backstop that, in fact, the central bank would step in despite that very stern warning from Andrew Bailey. I mean, yeah. what's the point of making that comment that uh, they would not be stepping to the market if, in fact, they were going to? So yeah. I think that was interesting. The other point here is what Liz Trust does. And obviously it was an outing for the UK Prime Minister again yesterday. But you've got this uh, tug of war. It's been noted before that this is a little bit Volcker, Reagan-esque back in the day where you had the tightening policy that the central bank was trying to get on with to try and tame inflation. But then the tug of war of Reaganomics, it's a bit like that all over again with trust, the spending measures that are required at the same time, whereas the central bank feels as though its measures to get rid of what does seen as a curse in society inflation is just being undermined by the government. Yeah, and when you put it like that, it, you actually, uh, the Bank of England are in a very difficult spot because not only are they countering inflation that is not, not initially domestically generated, but then it became domestically generated because it took them so long to actually get aggressive with the rate hikes, but they're also countering expansive fiscal policy and at the same time trying to keep the guilt market from becoming completely dysfunctional. And the way they address those two things are contradictory. On the one hand, to support the guilt market, they have to buy bonds. But on the other hand, to withdraw liquidity and to tighten, they have to hike interest rates and potentially sell bonds. And I think what's interesting here is many more market participants are looking at that October 31st day, the day that you've called the Halloween date yes. in the UK, because not only are we going to get the fiscal plans out of the Chancellor, which hopefully should give us a better idea of the medium term plans they have to reduce the public deficit, uh, but then it, we are also set 
to, uh, it's set to be the first day of Bank of England asset sales. Uh, this is something that they have flagged for a very long time and many mar market participants are saying they're simply not going to be able to go ahead with that. How can you be buying bonds to the tune of four billion pounds a day two weeks before you actually start selling bonds? It's very incongruous. Right. And then just uh, a couple of weeks later, then try to bring in perhaps 100 basis point move on interest rates. Right. It exactly. seems extraordinary. I mean, we think about it through the lens of the Fed, even a two-track program back in the day that they just couldn't execute at the same time because they're worried about market dysfunction. Here we are with some market dysfunction that the central bank has very nicely packaged up and badged for us. Yeah. Then we're expecting to see this dual track process resurrected again. It does beg the question, when QT then gets going, what is the right time frame if yeah. it doesn't happen uh, on the designated date? But it also uh, raises question marks, I think, around the rate hike. What yeah. sort of rate hike is required from here. Can Andrew Bailey really bring about a 1% move? Does that not send panic mm. through the markets at this stage? I mean, 1% in the United States was seen to be panic stations, mm. which is why we've had a lot of 75 basis point moves. Could mm. Andrew Bailey do that when he's trying to calm the market? It seems like the market actually does want to see that interest rate hike because they want, they want to feel that the Bank of England are getting a grip on inflation expectations. But I think it's really interesting to go back to actually what ECM member Holzman said to Jeff in that the LDI situation in the UK is quite unique because of the size of the market. Numbers wise, they own about 1.5 trillion pounds worth of assets, 1 trillion pounds just invested into UK corporate bonds and UK guilds. The total UK market, that UK guilds market is about 2.3 trillion pounds. So about you know, almost 40% of that is owned just by the pension fund community. This is a community that are in a liquidity crunch they're trying to find means to get the collateral available to meet margin calls. And what the Bank of England came in and said, okay, we're gonna put in a two week firewall to allow you to get the time to get the funding to meet all of these margin calls. But in reality, the LDI can't sell all the assets they own because then they would be under hedge. So they're in a very tricky situation where they have to stay hedged, but at the same time, they have to stay liquid. They have to find a solution to the liquidity problem. Yeah, an asset sale in a window when people know that you're trying to sell assets is never welcome. And we just circle back, who's on the hook here? Well, it actually ends up being us, doesn't it? As we take a look at our pension funds down the track and there could be some sort of hole there, uh, does it, is it the employer that steps in or is it just the ultimate uh, customer, the end customer that pays down the track with having just fewer funds there at their disposal? Yeah, I think, you know, on, on, the, on the topic of pensions funding levels, actually because interest rates were so much higher, the liabilities in the future were looking a lot better. But because of what happened and the sheer speed at which guilds started selling off and yields moved higher, they started getting these margin calls and were struggling to get the right liquidity to meet those margin calls. So there are a couple of ways that they could sort this out. Either they continue with the asset sales, or the fire sales as we've been talking about, or they get extra capital top-ups from some of their corporate sponsors. But whatever happens, this isn't an issue that's gonna go away in the matter of the next couple of days, Karen. And meanwhile, in other central banking news, ECB policymakers have stressed the importance of sticking to their rate hiking path to get inflation under control. Speaking at the IMF's annual meeting, the Austrian central bank governor and the ECB governing council member Robert Holzman said a 100 basis point rate increase might be too high in current circumstances, but told Jeff that markets and the central bank are on the same page in terms of expectations. Mine impression and my knowledge is that the markets are spot on. 
or at the increase we had uh, in uh, last month, sir, it was 75 basis point. Uh, this was the market expectations. And talking to the market, uh, hearing from the market, uh, also what they expect uh, for the next meeting next week, uh, I think uh, it will be at a similar level. Is there a need, though, do you think, to go any quicker at this stage? There's been a lot of talk about the necessity for front-loading and to get the pain done quickly. Why not 100 instead of 75? And then that maybe gives you a few more options as to what you do in December when you've had chance to look at the cumulative impact on the economy. It would be an option, but I think it would be beyond what the market expects. Uh, and also, I think it would be beyond what we would need to signal to the market we are serious. Because another 75er would bring us already closer to the 2% for the, for the deposit facility rate would be at, one, at 150. And so with another 75, then perhaps in December, even 50, we would be close where the neutral rate would be. What do you think needs to happen in terms of QT? Because I think the market now understands, as you're pointing out, that we're going to see interest rates continue to rise until the inflation numbers start to come down meaningfully. But what about reducing the very large balance sheet at the ECB? my take is that we will increase at least uh, first uh, until we have the neutral rate or above it. And this may happen this year or early next year. And I also think that there's a lot of understanding that once we are there, we will assess it, we will use the date at this time. But then already start of thinking of introducing uh, quantitative tightening. Uh, but the form, the level, and when it's happened, this is up to a decision which happens much later. If we begin to see clear evidence of a recession for the Eurozone, can the ECB continue to lift interest rates into that environment? I think here we have a quite strong unanimity, uh, almost unanimity, that if and as a recession, particularly a mild one, what we expect if it comes uh, to happen that if it is needed to increase rates further or keep the rates in order to deal to address the inflation issue, we would do. So a, a shallow recession would not deviate us from our plans to bring inflation down. So those that believe there is a window closing for further rate hikes at the ECB because of the risk of stagflation misunderstand your determination to, to tackle inflation. This is my strong assessment. Yes. Robert Holzman there. Meanwhile, the governor of the National Bank of Belgium and ECB Governing Council member Pierre Wunsch told CNBC that the European Central Bank will need to venture further into positive interest rate territory. Well, neutral is a very long-term concept, so it's, it's, it use, it's useful in terms of framing the discussion, but at the end of the day, when you have to take decision, it's not that useful. The way I look at it basically is uh, whether, uh, what, you know, whether rates are negative or positive in real terms, and they are still negative in real terms. Uh, and frankly, on the basis of our base case, which is now more or less a technical recession in Europe, I think we, we are going to have to go real positive somewhere. Uh, where is not clear. I mean, we haven't had that for 40 years. Our models have been calibrated with low inflation for 40 years. The last oil shock in 2007 was followed by, the, by a recession and low inflation. So 
basically models tend to tell us even if you don't do much, uh, you go back to two or a bit more than two. Uh, and then we look at the past, we look at other experiences of inflation and typically it looks like you need to go for real positive uh, to, to get that under control. But a lot will depend on what's going to be the impact of the slowdown of the economy, probably a technical recession on inflation. But again, my take is we, we most probably will have to go to um, real positive somewhere. So you would envisage, just to try and put some numbers into the frame, you would envisage at least 150 basis points before the end of the year, and then let's see what follows. Well, I don't want to be too, specific, too, too specific about what's going to take place before the end of the year. Uh, and of course, there is a bit of an issue real based on which deflator. But I think we will have to go most probably above two. Above two. And, you know, we've been claiming that what happens in Europe is different from the UK, from the US. But over the last six months, basically, the, the direction we've been taking was not that different. Uh, so... Uh, my, my bet would be it's going to be over, you know, over 2%, and I would not be surprised we have to go to above 3% at some point. But there was clearly um, an aha moment or, or an epiphany at some point this year, maybe around the April meeting, it seems to me, when suddenly the council just decided, you know what, if we don't do something now, we are going to be behind the curve and it, it is time to act. So what was it that was the catalyst for that? The fact that you could offer up the TPI at that point to provide some perhaps security around a blowout in yields for Italy? I don't think TPI played a big role. I think just the fact that the numbers consistently came with surprises, inflation. You know, f for a while we could say, okay, core is around 2%, it's mostly about energy, but then now we have core at 5%. But, but the trend was clear, I think. Uh, my epiphany came a bit before, because uh, I guess I said at the beginning of the year that the first 200 basis points of rate hike would be a no-brainer. Um, but of course, we, we come from, you know, a forward guidance that was very demanding in terms of uh, getting out of a supportive monetary policy. So we had a number of uh, steps to uh, follow before uh, going for hikes. Now we say we are going to be front-loading, but, but I think, I mean, it's a form of catch-up what you are doing now. Um, and again, the uncertainty of where, where you have to go to, to get this inflation under control uh, is not clear because it has been 40 years, you know, without that kind of experience in Europe. Very interesting comments there out of ECB's Wunsch. The president of the ECB, Christine Lagarde, says interest rate hikes are currently the best tool for the central bank to tame rising inflation. The tools we have are the traditional interest rate, which we believe under the current circumstances is the most effective, right. the most appropriate, and based on the proportionality assessment that we conduct in choosing from the toolbox is the one that actually works best because we want to anchor, make sure that there is no de-anchoring of expectations, uh, and we need to make sure that we are not adding, we're not stimulating uh, demand when we have this inelasticity of supply on the other side. Coming up on the show, the Fed comes under further pressure in its inflation fight with more data expected later today. We'll have the details next. And for more from our exclusive interviews with some of the ECB's key policymakers, you can check out the Squawk Box podcast.
Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. We are still closely tracking inflation and so far we've had the U.S. producer prices to digest uh, rising more than expected in September, jumping 8.5% on an annual basis to heap further pressure on the Federal Reserve in its inflation fight. Core wholesale prices, which remove food, energy and trade services, rose 5.6%. Now these figures come ahead of today's consumer inflation print, with Dow Jones forecasting a rise of 8.1% on a yearly basis, with rising rent costs set to be the driving factor. That should be cooler than the 8.3% we had the previous month. Now Fed officials underscored their pledge to tame inflation with rising rates and warned of the danger of ending hiking too early in minutes published from their latest meeting. FOMC members also noted that inflation is coming down slower than anticipated and cautioned against the impact of taking too little action. Well, that comment, taking too little action, is probably what prompted a negative session for Wall Street yesterday. You can see behind me all of the three majors in Wall Street ended in negative territory. The Dow below 20, below 30,000, 29,210 is where we're at right now, about a tenth of a percentage point weaker. The Nasdaq also, tech-heavy sector, down about a tenth. And then the S&P down about three-tenths of a percentage point. This is the lowest level the S&P has been at since November 2020. It's lowest close. It's six negative session and worth mentioning as well that every sector closed more than 10 percentage points away from 52 week highs so still very much in negative grounds here and of course the all eyes are going to be on that cpi print coming up today some people are asking whether that wholesale ppi number has any read across to the consumer inflation print that we're going to get today but uh, the expectation is headline cpi will have dropped but core cpi is expected to remain sticky. So uh, that's going to have some bearings on the markets. As for U.S. Treasuries, this is how we're looking today. We've actually come off in the overnight session. Bonds are about two to three basis points higher. You can see the 10-year note just sitting, sitting shy, shy of four percentage points, 3.92 right now, about two basis points higher on the session. Two-year notes up at 4.3 percentage points. It's still very much a, an inverted curve. We did bounce back somewhat after the FOMC minutes, but again, the trajectory here is still one of uh, trading very, very heavy, dependent on those inflation numbers. As to the dollar, this is what the greenback is looking like. Another strong week for the dollar. It's up about 0.4 percentage points on the week. We've been watching dollar yen very closely. We reached a, I believe, a 26-year high, no, 24-year high versus the yen in yesterday's trading. 147 almost is where we're sitting. Uh, that currency pair coming under a lot of scrutiny uh, and uh, anyone's guess as to what Bank of Japan may do to sort of bring that back in check again. The euro right below 97. We are trading about a fraction weaker, less than a tenth of a percentage point. So, And then the pound, a lot of focus on the pound the last couple of days with the Bank of England commentary. And of course, as we head into the fiscal event on October 31st, just shy of 111. 
As for Asian markets, this was the handover overnight. You can see, for the most part, it has been quite negative. The Nikkei in Japan down about half a percentage points. We had uh, wholesale prices come in higher than expectation there. So uh, that is one of the data points that's been driving the Japanese market. Hang Seng down 1.1 percentage point. We're watching the chip makers very closely after the latest uh, moves out of the U.S. to ban chip, chip exports, specifically to mainland China and to China correspondence. So uh, that is affecting the tech sector over there too. Shanghai Composite down about a tenth. And then finally, the Aussie index down about seven tenths of a percentage point. And Jamana, speaking of Asia, a couple of lines out of China is uh, the uh, Chinese Communist Party claims it has shown a fighting spirit over the last five years, adding it prioritized national interests ahead of the start of its Congress on Sunday. State media also reported that the party hailed its proper management of the issues raised by Russia's invasion of Ukraine in lines that are seen by observers as an affirmation of its foreign policy. Party delegates will gather in Beijing for its once-in-five-year party congress, with Xi Jinping expected to be confirmed for a third term as president. The White House is rushing to tackle unintended consequences from its latest restrictions on China's chip sector amid concerns it could harm the global supply chain. SK Hynix has been granted an exemption so that it can continue to receive products from its Chinese factory, with others also expected to be granted special authorizations. Meanwhile, American ship suppliers have reportedly started pulling back staff and freezing activity with Yangtze Memory Technologies, one of China's biggest semiconductor companies. U.S. chipmaker Applied Materials has issued a profit warning citing the impact from the latest chip restrictions from the White House. The group slashed its fourth quarter revenue and profit guidance, warning it could lose between $250 and $500 million in sales in the third quarter alone, with a similar loss expected for the final three months of the year. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.